Hi, and welcome back to another episode. I am super pumped to welcome back the phenomenal Dr. Gail Whiteford back to the podcast. This time we are talking about her involvement and her lead in the project, the Occupational Narratives Project, in conjunction with WFOT, what it is, how you can get involved, and we set a challenge for you to get involved and produce some epic occupational narratives. If you are looking for more resources, more epicness, and more value from your podcast experience, why not join up with Occupied Plus over at patreon.com forward slash Occupied Plus for as little as $4 US a month. You get bonus episodes, you get resources, uh, you, get, you can have access to me for supervision and that kind of thing. Um, pop on over, check out the different tiers, see if there's stuff that interests you over there, and add more to your clinical CPD. For now, please do enjoy the episode with the amazing Dr. Gal Whiteford. G'day, my name's Brock Cook, and welcome to Occupied. In this podcast, we're aiming to put the occupation in occupational therapy. We explore the people, topics, theories, and underpinnings that make this profession so incredible. If you're new here, you can find all of our previous episodes and resources at OccupiedPodcast.com. But for now, let's roll the episode. How are you? I've been pretty darn busy, actually. That doesn't sound like any different from normal, is it? <laughs> in a good way, in a good way. And you? Uh, the same, but I don't, I'm, still haven't worked out whether it's a good way or not. <laughs> oh, yeah. It probably, it never ends, doesn't it? Particularly, I guess, you are doing a lot of teaching or? Yeah, yeah. I feel like I'm still playing catch up from last year. It just mm-hmm, feels mm-hmm. like it's never ending. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. But yeah. uh, it's not too bad. It's been pretty good so far. Well, that is the life of a scholar, Brock. So it's, I'm told. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's it's kind of, it's twenty four seven in terms of there's always something that you need to read, write, mark, develop, uh, analyze, or think about. I don't know. We don't spend enough time thinking, actually, all up. But uh, yeah, there's always something to be done, always something to learn, always something to get across and that's both what's wonderful about it and what can be very demanding about it particularly I think for Mm. for people new to academia yeah I think that that's been the I mean I I don't know I'm still relatively new I guess I've been there I think I've been there four years it seems it's gone very fast yeah but uh yeah it's still that sort of culture shock I think still maybe I'm just a slow learner I don't know but, uh, no, no, but it, it is definitely it's, a um, thing. It's, it's a thing. Just the, the unique demands of a position that I wasn't necessarily training for when I went to university. So, Sure, but, because you don't finish work at the end of the day. You don't go, okay, that's it. I'm going to finish off that report, pack up, go home. It's, there's no, no such thing as you've really finished at the end of the day. No, no. And that's something I've been actively working on is trying to I guess put in some boundaries with regards to like how much am I willing to sacrifice my outside of work life for work so trying to not check my emails whenever they pop in at whatever time of day etc yeah and that kind of yeah. stuff but uh yeah. yeah it's more successful some days than others <laughs> Yeah, I wonder if COVID made that more of a thing for everybody. I was way worse during COVID. I just lost lost any boundaries that I had, really. I just... Yeah, I, I, I reckon I was probably the same. And I think it was just because I didn't have that... There was no separation between work and... Because I didn't have a drive home or anything like that. Yeah. There was no separation yeah. between yeah. work yeah. and home time. So they kind yeah. of just melded together. yeah. Yeah. Well, I read stories of people driving around the block just to feel like they got in their car and went somewhere and came back. Yeah, uh, I, I yeah. heard that. I remember um, yeah. 
Dr. Ellen Nicholson in in New Zealand. She was telling mm. me that she used to get up, have a coffee, do a morning thing, and then walk around the block and then back into the house. And yeah, that was her commute to work. And then she did yeah. the same thing in the afternoon and go the other mm-hmm. way around the block. Mm-hmm. And that was mm-hmm. her trying mm-hmm. to create that separation. And mm-hmm. it was an it was an interesting year just for kind of thinking about that kind of stuff because it's not usually the stuff that most people consider. They're like, oh, you know, you go to work, but there's no. I think the boundary between work and not work, whatever that might be for different people, wasn't necessarily something that a lot of people considered before last year. That's right. And so that's why it was for us interested in occupation. Here's a good segue. (laughs) A really interesting time because it did bring that consciousness to people's minds. Uh, And also the fact that it was really what I felt was important too, that it was about the real disparities in terms of what people were able to do and access and the resources they had to hand during COVID and those that didn't, it was a real, you know, what became very evident, it was that the structural inequalities in society because they really played out in terms of the impact of COVID on people, not just in terms of their patterns of occupational engagement participation but also actually uh, access to healthcare and support so it's not an accident that most people in the United States the majority of people that got COVID were African-American people living in poverty it's it's, it went beyond that demographic subsequently but that was the initial demographic yeah and I think if I don't know if anyone has done the stats in Australia, but I think you'll probably find that it's marginalised communities from or people that are not able to have a, get a, as good an access as dominant culture people in Australia as well um, sure. to healthcare. You probably find a very similar pattern. Sure, um, that's why this is why I've been so much focus on reaching culturally and linguistically diverse communities through you know good uh interpreted materials in language for people uh as well as you know through more organic means actually people talking about this stuff in communities yeah yeah one of the one of the things that i was kind of reflecting on last year was it was i think i think to me it highlighted that a lot of OTs don't understand, well, not that they don't understand, but they probably don't appreciate, I guess, a lot of the nuance around what the actual health implications are for occupations. It's still taken for granted in a lot of instances that people doing equals people like improvement in health. Whereas I think COVID, yes, it highlighted that mainly when people were locked down, which luckily for Australia wasn't as much as the rest of the world. Um, but I think the the implications around limited access to connection to family to like we talked about before, like just that separation, like a lot of your mm. habits and routines being interrupted and mm. having to form new ones, and then even I I remember thinking at the very start of it, everyone towards probably I'd say in the first two or three months of it was still in this mindset of we just got to get through it and then it'll go back to the way it was. And now it's almost changed. It's like, well, it's not going back to the way it was, but what's the new normal going to be? And people started talking about the new normal. And I saw that mindset shift almost Uh, on uh a whole sort of community Uh Uh level, which was very interesting to me. I think what it has done also is throw up as you acknowledge those occupational pursuits which were not necessarily health-giving. And I am thinking of, have you seen that yet? I have a copy here. Oh, great. Look, I think that's been such a breakthrough book and I, I was really pleased to be able to get a chapter in there about uh, resistance, yep. nonviolent resistance in Palestine, which, of course, is really topical at the moment. Yeah. Yes. Ooh, and having been there, I can tell you it's an extreme environment. Um, but it it is it has brought some illumination to 
stuff that's otherwise not well illuminated. But you're right, did highlight there's this careful or we, we orchestrate our, our occupational engagements much more um cleverly than we think and mm. and you know in patterns of time use we we do imagine ourselves in time doing certain things in certain ways to, to certain extents and you know and that it really was about time use and how people were using time so you know i was really interested that um Patterns of wine consumption, for example, went right up because people were going, well, I'm just, I don't have that, you know, routine. There's, I think, the domestic stresses of mm. having kids at home all the time. Uh, well, wine o'clock, our kids were joking about that, but I know that they were getting on line with other parents going, it's wine o'clock. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I just, it's... This is stuff that is is really poorly understood, but all up, I think it's been really good for us to be able to be in that space and say, yeah, we're we're experts on this stuff. We do know about how people use time, and what it means, and and how people can adapt to that or not. Uh, we do understand issues around non-participation and the impacts of that, and disruption and and deprivation. So it was. Uh, I, I, I thought personally, if ever a time has come for us to stand up and say, "Yeah, this is this is a space in which we can make a really important contribution," that was it. And I've I've been using it to highlight to people where OT fits. People who aren't within the profession and like asking mm. me the old, you know, what is OT? I'm like, well, here's a, a global experience that everyone has some relation to. That is something that OT as a profession generally should be yeah. looking at. Yeah, absolutely. And it, so it's not just about whether you have a particular need or you have a background disability. It was it affected all people. But the way it played out, of course, going back to our original point, was that those who were already disadvantaged became more disadvantaged. So I, I particularly saw that in aged care settings. The digital divide was really evident. So there's all these people without choice and control over their environments, absolutely isolated by lack of access to appropriate technology. And even even if they did have it, like I found with my parents who are probably not too bad compared to some people their age with regards to tech, but they they have it all. It doesn't necessarily mean they know how best to use it. So even I think a lot of people just go, yep, access, yep, you've got it, it's available to you. But actually the skill set of being able to access it and use it uh, is something else on top of that. And Yeah, you're, yeah, yeah. And even, even myself, like I've got a lot of gear in here and that doesn't necessarily make things better. It doesn't always even necessarily make things easier. But... <laughs> Being able to use what I need when I need it and me having the capacity and the skill to know what goes where and like we were talking about before, like we could have done this via a phone call or like yeah. there's a myriad of ways where we could record this, but knowing what, when, what's best, what's going to be easiest for everyone and all that sort of stuff is a, a whole nother level of looking at the potential engagement in in something. And I think a lot of people just think access is the only aspect to being able to use it which is that's true i think it uh probably more a younger generational uh thought process because they grew up with it in a sense yeah but. yeah yeah well i think the royal commission into aged care has been horrendous i don't know if you've read the reports there I've heard bits and pieces, but I haven't read oh. it. Yeah, have a look. Um, the both the interim report and final report. This, in some ways, the interim report is more powerful. The narratives are really, are really shocking. And you read it as a, an occupational therapist. Go well. Where were we to, to some extent? But terrible indictment. But I think what will come out of it will be an, an enforced change in that space. And again, where we should be, and we'll be making a, a bigger contribution. Anyway, mate, that's all a bit aside from our topic today. <laughs> no, it's interesting, though. <laughs> it is. It really is. So the narrative project, I'm actually partway, I was film, putting together part of my video this morning, actually. Um, Great. I've, I've begun it, and then I've realized that my 
not OCD, but my, I need to produce something that I think is cool. So I'm like, I'm going to do a bit of editing and see what I can do with it to make it look funky. Yeah. Oh, and so what are you doing that with? Because I used, uh, I downloaded Vimeo onto my phone and use that as a editing app. Um, but I've also, you can just I've use. I've got all kinds, again, similar uh, to the equipment oh, in my office, I've got all kinds of software that I've barely ever used, but I probably should use more. So I'm um, trying out. Final Cut Pro, which is something that came with my Mac many moons ago that I don't okay. ever, I've never used right. really, but um, I'm taking bits and pieces I took because I'm doing it on uh, my photography. Great. Um, Fantastic. So I've got a little bit of footage the other day of me out and about photographing a sun sunrise and I'll mix in some of me like talking and I'll mix in probably some of the actual photos that I've taken and try and mix it all together and make it engaging and that's yeah, all look, part the, of the, the thing, creative process. The thing is, I mean, we don't want to stress that people need special programs or equipment at all. What we do want to impress upon people is that you can just use that or someone you know with that. And actually you can uh, even up, upload it using Messenger, someone was telling me the other day, one of the digital stories. So okay. um, whilst you will want to do something that good, and I did one that was on the original website, but it's not on the latest version, but I might put it back up about growing and drying organic herbs. And oh, I had okay. a lot of fun with it too, um, doing the editing and putting some some stills in as well as the videoing but I think it's good that you've done it so you can get the process of what it, the structure of it which is who who you are because we really want people's identity in context which is the where what is it that you're doing what is the occupation a bit about how, but I think some people have gone a bit too far on the how and gotten into very technical detail, which is not really the point. Mm. The really important dimension to the occupational narratives and the digital stories is the why. So we get to the dimension of meaning for people. Why is this important to me? Why do I do it? How does it make me feel? What are the impacts on other people? Or not necessarily just me as an individual i'm quite keen that we see more by groups of people families okay. couples communities talking about all oh, what we're doing here and this notion of collective and co-occupations i don't know if you saw the digital story that's on the website of a mum playing footy yes i did see that one that is that was awesome. brilliant. And it is kids engaged in it as well. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. I really mm. like that one. Mm. That, yes, was, that was the one that was like, oh man, I got to like throw bits and pieces together to try and edit because that one looked really cool too. It does. It's really well done, and it's so rich. Mm. So the point is, if I should, I should keep talking, yeah, sure about all this. Yeah, yeah look, the where this all started was. Well, I was doing some research and was looking at participation in labour markets in Europe and then participation in higher education and looking at how people people's background in terms of entry into labour market and higher education and uh, in an OECD database, which is all statistical. And I remember looking at it going, wow, you know, because the, the, you, could, you could search by ethnicity, for example, how many Roma people, you know, what percentage of Roma people in, in Europe um, tracked on to either uh, professional workforce or higher education, what have you, or you could search by age. And I thought for every one of these statistics, there's a person there mm. and some who faced incredibly entrenched disadvantage to either end up in the workforce, the labour market or in higher education. And I thought, here they're just, they're just numbers, they're just aggregated numbers. But imagine if, you know, you could see those stories or you could um, access those, those stories. And then I started thinking about, well, what if it wasn't just about labour market and educational participation? What if, what if it was all the things that people participate in? <laughs> And what if it was people who normally don't appear on our radars and people who 
this is the important bit that I think we really still have to pursue. People who can't because they have barriers uh, in their lives, in their environments that might be structural, they might be environmental, they might be economic, you know, there might be all sorts of reasons why people can't participate and the impacts that that has on them. And I woke up at two o'clock in the morning with the idea fully formed. I don't know if you have that. I always wake up at two. If I'm going to wake up with these ideas, it's two o'clock. Nice. And really had the it, it fully developed in my mind anyway. And then through, so this was going back now nearly six years ago, um, and then through discussions with Marilyn Patterson, um, at WFOT really put the case to her that this was a way in which we could do a couple of things. One would be to develop this remarkable database of not numbers but but stories and narratives that would be quite unique anywhere in the world. And through doing, and that would be an amazing resource for researchers and for educators. But importantly, that it would provide a platform for any person from any background and having no conditions of, you know, age or what we're trying to represent, that anybody could have their story told, that mm. we would be creating this amazingly uh, kind of liberating platform where, where people could talk about what was important for them to do or what they wanted to be able to do and couldn't, that it would be open to people using the conduit of occupational therapists around the world. And as a final corollary to that, that we would be then showing the world what it is that we're primarily concerned with, not not telling them, but showing this is what we're mm. about. This is really core to us as an international profession of occupational therapy. We're, we're interested in people in their environments, in their context, and understanding what it is that they do and why. And that's being central to what we want to engage with, to work with people shoulder to shoulder to help make that happen. Uh, I always saw that as a very powerful vision for, for the profession and get us away from particular interest groups or particular types of involvement, mm. saying, no, it's actually about people and what mm. they do and us working with them to enable that to happen. So, and it went from there, I uh, took on the, the role of project lead, pulled together an international team from the six World Health Organization regions of the world. So we had someone from Mediterranean region, Middle East, Africa, North America, South America, Eastern Europe, and uh, Northern Europe. And, and Australasia, of course. And this team then really worked through the big issues around the creation of such a database. How would we deal with language, for example? And early on, we were really clear that we didn't want everyone to have to speak in English mm. uh, because we want people to be able be, be using their own language. That's really important. Yeah, yeah. So everyone that you'll see on the website speaking in their own language, some are subtitled. We, we might get to that. We'll be calling for volunteers to help us. But importantly, people are expressing themselves in their language. Then we had to work through the how would we represent it and the idea of the map of the world and then being able to search by type of occupation, age, gender, language, region uh, was also what we wanted to be able to do and which would make it then in terms of searching really uh, research friendly. And then we had to get on and deal with the legal stuff, which was very significant and consent, as mm -hmm. you've probably seen that. Um took a while for us to set up the two-step process so people, the consent's done and then there's someone uh, who will also validate or screen what's 
been uploaded before it goes to the website yeah, yeah. just so there's no inappropriate stuff going up there we've had a, a few attempts at doing ads <laughs> which has I been interesting yeah yep. so you know we've got that we've had that we had to set up that screening function and then we you know went live late last year and this is where we're up to now so there's, there's so yep. many videos on there already. Well, there's not nearly enough. Well, I've got to say, it's not. We really want. I, the, yeah, our initial goal was five thousand. Okay. Which is a stretch goal, but I reckon, given that we have over a hundred member states now of WFOT, I reckon we can get there. And I think that what I see so far is not enough diversity in there. I don't know what your thoughts were. Uh, I, yeah, even just scrolling just the, like, the thumbnails of all the videos, uh, the majority of people, and again, this is just on face value, uh, there's a lot of women, there's a lot of white women, um, judging by the titles, there seems to be a lot in it, I don't know what language it is, but to me it looks like a Spanish. Spanish, there's a lot in Spanish, um, absolutely, a whole new crop just arrived. yeah. But the majority yep. of just the thumbnails, obviously some, some thumbnails without a, a person in them, but the majority of the ones are white, female, uh, usually younger. There's some elderly-looking people in here. Oh, there's one guy. That's the first guy I've seen. What am I on page four? Yep. Uh, so, yeah, I can definitely see how diversity is a, a lacking in, uh, yes. in this particular project at the present one of the reasons for that is that people have picked it up as a student assignment and that's great. Good on them. And there's in a way that's really good because when you think about the numbers of students, Mm. that's going to be, that, that will really work. But if, instead of students doing a a digital story about themselves, if they were going out uh, and finding, for example, there's a really delightful digital story of an older lady feeding her chickens. Okay. Yeah. Uh, And uh, a friend of mine told me that actually it's not subtitled in, but at one stage she's actually swearing a bit at the chooks. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. That's, you know, that's the kind of thing that would, we, we, we really want to get to. I really would also like to see that it, it's people who have challenges to, to everyday doing. So there is a, a digital story by a chap in Belgium, I think, who has a prosthetic leg, Talk, but he's talking about making, doing metal work. Okay. And it's it's lovely. He says, "Well, actually, when I'm in my workshop making something for somebody, and that's that's I think a key element. Um, I forget all about this, you know, my leg. It's once I'm set up at yep. my workshop and it's a little adapted for me for my needs. I don't think about that. So, if more along those lines would be really helpful too, because what we're doing then is not focusing on disability or impairment we're focusing we're hearing the stories of people talking about i'm doing what's meaningful despite these other things and i've made the appropriate adaptations usually without the input of a professional i gotta say and i think that's really important for us to hear that um you know and it's it's the meaning of it that motivates me and gets me up and gets me there and drives me to do it so you know my own take on that is meaning is the engine room of motivation and and there's some good stories that but we need more like that so i would love to see people take this on board as a kind of responsibility to ensure that we it is really meeting its uh, the original vision for it to be this kind of amazing platform where any person, any background can really talk about what I do that's meaningful, particularly when, you know, I've got, there There are many obstacles for me to do that. Uh, speaks to the power of meaningful participation and, and occupation per se. So yeah. that's what I'm hoping for. That sounds epic. I love it already. 
Um, what sort of is it been thoughts around like the kinds of research you're hoping that'll come from it, or is it just an open database that whatever people sort of whatever idea comes to them that might be accessible for their their particular idea, or what's the you know as a as a we also have had a discussion about developing some educational resources that sit alongside it because it could be a fantastic teaching tool. Mm. So, you know, Occupation 101 and yeah. in people's degree programs, it could be you could come in at, at a very uh, basic level and go, what are people doing mm. and what are they talking about and uh, uh, what seems to be important to them? And then from there, as a... Uh, a research tool, you could do a much more sophisticated thematic analysis and, and get some depth in there. You could also really perhaps get some links through to to context. You could also really uh, eventually when there's enough in there, you could also do some statistical sampling. Majority are female um, in this particular age group and these types of occupations. Um it's not going to tell you a lot per se, but, you know, you, we could do both. So that's why more diversity and sheer greater numbers are going to be useful in yep. there. And if someone, like obviously we've spoken that there is a, a lack of diversity, but if someone is in that sort of culturally dominant uh, group that's currently represented there, uh, they can still submit. We're not saying... Oh, of course, yeah. of course. Yeah, I, I, that's the point of it. It is absolutely about equal access and participation. Mm -hmm. I would never want to preclude anybody from putting up a digital story because we've, there's something to learn from every mm -hmm. digital story for sure. But we also want to ensure that it is a space where we people – from different backgrounds can see themselves represented. That That's important too. We know for people from uh, minority and marginalised groups that seeing yourself represented is, is a motivator. So uh, for us to understand a bit more about occupational adaptation in different contexts, I would like to see more of people doing what's important to them and how they quite naturalistically have overcome barriers and challenges environmentally and otherwise. So there's a lot more to be learned there on what I would call naturalistic occupational mm. adaptation. And I think the, the video stories is something that's interesting because I feel like it's something that potentially if you work with people who are overcoming sort of some sort of barrier already it incorporates really well into just the narrative exploration that you're doing with them as part of being an OT anyway so you could quite easily incorporate recording their story and documenting their story in a I think they're maximum of four minutes uh, yes, video yes. like as part of your therapy if they were open to sharing absolutely their I mean engagement. Say, for example, you're working with a, a young guy who's had a below knee amputation from traumatic motor vehicle accident or something. He's getting back to being a bushwalker. You could have a fantastic digital story uh, about that. I actually had, um, was working with someone like that years back. That would be, if I could travel back in time, I'd ask him yeah. if he'd do a digital story. But, you know, so there, uh, that's the kind of stuff that would be fantastic. That's why we have to get it out to more occupational therapists. That's the real challenge right now is not enough people know about it. And that's where you come in and <laughs> Occupy the podcast comes in is that we really hope to reach so many more people out there. Set the challenge to everyone that's listening. Set the challenge to everyone. Um, Organise to do one yourself but then do one of someone else that you can think of that, you know, isn't well represented thus far. So I have a friend who um, has a spinal cord injury who does, who runs a remarkable business online. So I'm just decided to get in touch and say, hey, you know, let's do this together. I, I think it'd be great for if you want to. Yeah. Of course, we can't coerce people, but yeah. 
if people don't know about it, yeah, that's it. You know, let's just, let's get it to them, and they've firstly. got they've got choice and control. That's what we want. And I think one of the things that I've found in doing one or putting one together, and mine will be up. I'll put the link if it's if it's on the website by the time we we post this. I'll I'll um I'll put the link so people can go and check out the one that I made if they like. Great. Um, but one of the things that I notice, even just doing it, and like four minutes doesn't seem like a lot, but when you're you spend the time actually thinking about, well, this is why I do whatever occupation it is. There's so much that you can go through and analyze and think yeah. about in that yeah. short period of time. So at the moment, there's. Uh, 10 pages with probably 15, 10-ish videos on each. So there's probably like a hundred, say 100 videos on the, uh, four minutes each. That's so much rich information in those yeah. short little bursts. And yeah. it's easily digestible with the format that's, that's given. Yes. Uh, uh, that, that's really why we valuable. wanted to give, to give it that structure. So we're picking up the identity you know, the as I said, who and and where context is really important. You know, all occupation occurs in a context. We want to make sure that we're picking that up. But really that unpacking of why. And similar to you, I didn't I hadn't thought through so much why I loved, you know, growing these herbs organically on our property and then drying them. And I thought that it was about being close to nature. But when I started talking about it, a, a really important aspect of why it was meaningful for me was that I give them away. I then, along with the herbs, we do Russian garlic. We give it to friends and family. We don't sell it. But that act of making something, you know, from scratch mm. and then processing it and, and then being able to gift it to someone having left a really light environmental footprint. That is part of it. But it was actual giving away of the stuff that, that really uh, I loved. And I hadn't thought about that. So the other selling point to people who are listening to this is that doing one yourself can be a, a rich experience and give you some insights you might not have had before. But to also then create a platform for someone else to do that can be very empowering too. Some of the Greek ones are very good. I don't know if you saw them. There is uh, one of an older gentleman talking about how fishing keeps his depression at bay. And uh, even as he's telling the story about that, he you can see he's hadn't really quite understood that before but he yeah, gets clear about it as he's link. talking about it yeah yeah it's uh it's very rich it's very rich so let's enhance the richness by getting more diversity in there brock yeah i feel like a lot of people with regards to like analyzing specific occupations i feel like it's a really big thing and i know like with regards to photography like i've done episodes on here about it and that's a lot longer mm. than four minutes but i think mm. I think there's also a challenge in doing it in four minutes in that you are like I could sit in and I have done many times sit here and ramble on about stuff for ages and ages, but actually really nutting it out and being very clear and concise about it is actually a really valuable learning tool as well. And I do think it's important, like you challenged me before, to do one yourself so that you know what goes into it yeah, and then once you've got that understanding of this is sort of what you're looking for and this is the how and this is the why, et cetera, then taking that to someone you know, someone you work with, et cetera, to do their uh, story, if they're, they're open and, and willing to do that, I feel like you're going to be able to support them through it easier, I guess. It's like anything, I guess. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And, and that was my motivation for doing one right early on when we started talking about it was same feeling. If I'm going to be asking other people to do this or encouraging others, mm. I've got to do it myself. And, uh, you know, felt pretty weird holding my phone up and talking about myself, wearing my rough farming gear. It was, you know, it was a blast. Uh, I, I really got a lot out of doing that and it did give me insights into what that's like, what some of the issues are, what have you, but also the, that it can be 
kind of this emancipatory thing to talk about. This is something that I love doing and why I love doing it. It's cool. And without any caveats on it, it's not about anything else. Yeah. Just, yes, you, you, the person, or what we would like to see more of too, uh, like the mum playing footy, more of of co-occupations, people and their kids, people and partners, people and their families doing stuff together. Because let's face it, a lot of occupation does occur in collective spaces. Unfortunately, mine's not because I very much do that on my own most of the time. <laughs> yep, yep. That, that's fine. <laughs> but I'm that's sure fine, I could but... think of something else that I do that's – well, easily think of something else that I do that's very much a co-occupation. But um, I forgot what I was going to ask now. That's okay. People will work it through and it will come to them one way or another. But that there's a lot for us to learn about how people – negotiate and participate in collective occupations being part of a team is a collective Mm. occupation so you know someone out there might want to talk about playing footy or soccer or hockey or what apollo basketball anything yep yep us us a team doing this thing together how we work on a community garden we would love to see one about a community garden out there uh, folks uh these are sorts of things and that... is it is it something that you would be looking for so like with the team example like the actual team being in the video or is it more the individual's perspective on their engagement in a team occupation or a co-occupation in four minutes it's going to be really hard to get all the team yeah speaking but you know having at least some sense of the input of of us versus mm. just my perspective even if someone's talked to them in advance mm. or they're there at filming you know on their phone or something and just capturing you know one word from each person about what it means you could do that in four minutes yeah um with a very quick you know who who are we? We're a basketball team. Where we are? Where are we in um, a small town in Western Australia? Uh, what is it that we're doing? We play basketball together. How we do very little training, but we get out there for a lot of fun. Uh, why do we do it? Well, let's hear from each person. Yeah. You know, you could you could do something cool around that. Yeah. Um, yep. Yeah. And it's 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 backed by WFOT. WFOT have a website set up for it with everything that you need to know on it, including the map and all the videos that yep. we've been talking about. And the technical tips down to which way to hold your camera, yep. which is landscape, not portrait. Yep. For example, whole no, video don't put music on. Yeah, that's Mike Jerry from Belgium. Yep. He's done a great job. Don't Don't put music in. We yep. can't. Uh, music doesn't work. No, it uh, tends to get flagged for copyright reasons. Yeah, and we can't. He- we can't hear the narrative. Yeah. So, yep. Uh, those would be the main things. Go to what's powerful, what people do that they're motivated by, or what they'd love to be able to do and can't. Sound because they're in an aged care facility, or they're you know. Uh, living in a very remote part of Australia, whatever it is. Yeah. We want to know about those things that are barriers to people participating and what the impact that is on them. And I think the, the there's plenty of support on the website. I'm looking at the, the about page for the, the website now and it's got all your information that we just talked about about how to do it. There's a, yep. a video from yourself. Uh, introducing the project, and then there's also if the, there's contact details if you do need any help from from Woffit as well. Yep. And you upload your story; everything happens all on the one website. It's all there. It's very easy to use. I like it. It looks easy. Years went into developing that. I could, I can <laughs> that design. <laughs> yep. That's, and that's and the best consent. things. The best things work like that. Yes, and Which, remembering that you have to do a consent. Yeah. That's important. Yeah. yeah. And that's part of the, the upload process. Yep. Yep. So you, you go through that process and you do all your consent stuff and you upload your video and then it'll go through the, the review process and get added to the the database. Yeah. How easy is that? Easy is that. And then you can click on the your map of the world and click on your story and see it and see it represented. So if you have, how many listeners do you think you have? Uh, hard to tell hundreds hard to tell. thousands <laughs> uh, imagine if they all decided to do one or two I challenge them to do one for themselves and one for someone else 
I'm with you on that. Once you've done one for yourself, you'll know how easy it is. And then you can find someone else from a background other than your own. Yes. To capture something that they enjoy doing, engaging in for a four-minute clip as well. And like like the, the, the videos on the on the website suggest and we've talked about here, doesn't have to be fancy. It's A lot of them are no. just videos that people are recording on their iPhone. I've watched videos about people who enjoy knitting with yarn and all sorts of things yep. and they'll show sometimes yep. they'll show um like their actual what they're doing so the yarn and the knitting other times they're just talking about like their gardening or, or whatever their activity is um their but, occupation yeah and there's one of um some a young spanish guy sitting in his room um drinking a glass of wine <laughs> i love it talking about actually you know he he is into wine appreciation. That's an occupation. Uh, and depending on what's going on, and of course, COVID having uh, had an impact there, sometimes it meant savouring his wine alone, but that was okay because he kind of knew what he was doing. It's, it looked, it, the variety already is pretty good, but mm. hey, there's the challenge. Let's get more. Yeah. And I feel like at the moment, like we talked about at the very start, that given everything that the world has been through last year, I, th- I feel like. Anyway, a lot of people in the circles that I roll in anyway have a much greater appreciation for those things that we enjoy after you know everything that's happened in the last 18 months or so. So it shouldn't be too hard to find something that genuinely gives you happiness or that you love sure. or that you – anything like that. Generally, the, the things I think for most people I've spoken to, the things that are, are of great importance to us uh, have really shown themselves in the last become much more apparent. So. Yeah. I agree. So there is a section called doing things differently during COVID, just so people are aware of that. And that's an important one. That'll be a whole sub data set, yep. I think, for people to analyze in terms of impacts of, of COVID on forms of occupational participation. But as well as, I do want to stress, so as well as uh, people focusing on what it is that they enjoy and find meaningful, let's also hear from people who really wish they could be with their family and connect and do things with their family, but they can't because of the circumstances that they find themselves in or would love to be part of the national basketball team, but because they live in Central Australia, that's not going to happen. Uh, so, you know, Find go back to diversity. Like, that's it. Like so it. either what I love doing or what I, I love to do what but I would can't love do, to do because of because constraints. Of... Interesting. And I feel like, do you feel like it's something that, like if someone, they've done their own, they understand what's going on, uh, with the process of it, they go out and help support someone. Do you feel like, uh, are they able to give some prompts to that other person around? Like, are they able to have a discussion beforehand around, okay, so you want to do this, but these might be some of the constraints or you want to left completely up to the, the own, the individual's reflection of the occupation? Oh, uh, no, absolutely. Supporting people by, you know, not, not so much prompting, but giving examples. Mm. So remember, this is stuff that we are across and understand and we think we think yeah. routinely about environmental barriers, for example, but not everyone does. So you might say, so, you know, things that you find are difficult for you to go out and socialise or go to the um, bowling club on the weekend, for example, you know, that tricky uh, back, staircase you've got there Uh, or the fact that there's not a bus that comes regularly or the fact that you know um you're still waiting for a guide dog because your vision appeared that's a huge waiting list apparently at the moment so you know that that's the thing you might just that you can see that's why we want to keep this in the hands of occupational therapists rather than it just because that's the knowledge that that we bring to it so it it might be that there's an example without putting words in people's mouths, but, you know, so you were telling me that, in fact, you find it really hard to uh, hold the mouse because of your arthritis, and that means that you don't spend as much time on social media. 
or you know you find your phone harder to use because of the arthritis in your hands whatever all that stuff awesome or yep or you know um people with uh mental illness and we know that it's people have varying levels of access to good mental health services and, and care in Australia. So it might be that that really impacts on people's ability to participate, uh, especially in social occupations mm. or paid employment, because at the moment they're they're not feeling well managed on medication because uh, they only have a fly in and fly out psychiatrist like many towns around here. Yeah, yep. Got a You're few, probably in the same boat. Yeah, few places so, up here that our services would do outreach to. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, also, don't forget you've got people in the armed forces up there mm. in defence force. They, they'd be some interesting ones. They probably wouldn't be able to talk about what they did as yeah. part of that role, uh, but there'd be other th- ways in which that role would impact on their patterns of occupational mm. engagement time use because they're deployed or whatever so do you know what i mean that we haven't heard Definitely. those stories man you could uh, if you've got some contacts so up there if you've got some contacts in the defense force, that would be great i know that they have a lot of team sports they do they certainly do that going on up there the, the majority of their because they use it as a Team building exercise as well as yeah. a, a fitness yeah. thing. So yeah, they yeah. they definitely have rugby teams and all sorts of stuff involved in in defence. We could definitely look at that. We've got those connections. I think that's a good one. <laughs> I'll see what I can do. <laughs> Get my people to talk to their people. Yeah, yeah, you would. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So challenges issued. Everyone needs to do their own, just to see how easy it is and. To, to add to this very, uh, I'd say, rich uh, in database that already exists, but we're trying to grow it, and then find someone from a background that's very different to yours uh, and, and ask them. The worst you can do is ask. Like it's, There's no harm in, in asking, at least, uh, and, and see if you can add to this, this worldwide database of occupational narratives. You got it. I like Let's it. Uh, digital story by digital story create a better a better world. I like it. Thank you so much for for coming in and and sharing your project and challenging everyone. And uh, we'll see what we can do. Thanks, Brock. No worries. If you liked this episode and want to check out more, head over to occupiedpodcast.com or search Occupied Podcast in your favorite podcasting app. If you have thoughts or reflections on the topics discussed today, please do get in contact. We'd love to hear from you. And lastly, if you got some value from this and you want to help us out, like, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Remember, be good to yourself, be good to others, and always keep occupied.